Hey, we're really excited about this new little short series. Going to be doing the month of August, just called Better Life. So let me ask you a question. How, how does that title hit you? It's okay? Good? I mean, because I, I got to be honest with you, I've struggled with this. Uh, it's exactly what I wanted to communicate, that there's a way to live a better life. Uh, but my concern was, you know, especially for people maybe outside of Desert Springs, that that might come across a little arrogant, right? That Steve and all his wisdom is going to tell you how you can live it better, right? Now, I knew for all of you who normally attend, you know how truly humble I am, right? And you would have never thought that, but maybe some folk on the outside. So if you're new, just let me, let me do this for you. This isn't about, you know, Steve's got all this wisdom and he's just going to graciously impart it to you. It just happens to be that I believe that there's a, there's a God in heaven and his name is Jesus. He's the creator of all things. We talked about it last week. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He actually made us, right? He's the one who wired us. He, he knows what's going on in the inside. And he absolutely knows the best way to live this life. In fact, when he was here on the earth, this is what he said. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I came to give life. And to give it abundantly. He wants to give us life to the full. And so he knows best. He knows how we're wired. He knows what brings us significance and security and, and all, of, all of those things. The best way I could probably explain it is, um, let's suppose that there was, a, there was a guy who, or a gal, doesn't matter, but one of those engineer types. We've got any engineers here, right? Likes to fiddle, likes to think. It's messing around, been dealing with this for years, but actually creates a machine that can change the molecular structure of something. I mean, like, wow. I mean, nobody's never been done. And they tune it so that what they can do, is, and, and this would be a great thing for humanity, is be able to take rocks. We have plenty of rocks, right? You put it in the machine and out pops two seconds later the best, juiciest, tastiest orange you've ever had. Now, in creating the machine, his net worth just went through the roof, didn't not, right? Uh, orange, and of course, unless the Orange Grower Association puts a hit out on him because uh, he's going to ruin their job. But it's fascinating. Nobody's ever seen this before, right? So he begins to get invited to all these trade shows with other engineers and explaining his machine. It's just great. You put it in a rock, boo, you get this beautiful orange. It's so good. And it, it's awesome. But in the midst of all the traveling, the thing gets hit, it gets jostled. Now you put in a rock, and out comes something that looks like a prune. Now his net worth just went down, by the way. But here's the question. Here's a technology, here's a machine that nobody has ever dreamed about before, and it's broken. Who do you think is the best person to try to fix that machine? The experts? The engineers who have said, hey, I don't know how this thing works? Or the guy, the gal who created it? And I want to argue with you today, maybe a little bit, that the creator of our soul knows how all of this works best. And that what we find as our cultures around us is that 
and they're trying to solve the problems. They're trying to solve it in, the, in, in a broken state, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse, is it not? I mean, suicides, drug, alcohol abuse, uh, divorces, broken relationships. It's just, it's just a mess. And yet our world keeps saying, well, you do it this way, you do it this way. And, and to be honest with you, the next five weeks, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to talk a lot that's going to be very countercultural. And I'm not doing it to attack the people that put it forth because I think a lot of them put forth what they do with the best of intentions. The problem is they're just walking in darkness and ignorance. And it's not against them. It's just they, they don't know. But I believe there's somebody who does know. His name's Jesus. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the creator of our soul. He knows the things that speaks to our heart and that bring about the things which bring that true satisfaction. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to start today the end of chapter 4. We're going to deal with next week and, and from then on in chapter 5. Five really practical, simple ways to live a better life. To live life to the full. To do this thing better. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He says this. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger and clamor, and slander be put away with you along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The, the Steve Ingram interpretation of that verse is simply this. Stop with the emotional, selfish, it's all about me behaviors. Put them away. That's what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away with you along with all malice. You see, before you can upload new stuff, you got to download to make some room. Before you can add stuff, you got to clean some things out. And I learned this a few years ago. Many of you were here a part of it uh, on my weight loss journey right? It's not just simply about making good, healthy food choices. It's about getting rid of the unhealthy food choices, right? Because all of us had done. In fact, for me, I, had to, I needed to lose 50 pounds. And that 50 pounds had not been added in one day, one week, one year. It had been a work of art for 25 years, a cookie here, a donut there. There had been many times along the way where I would say, hey, I need to get a handle on this. And so we would go on a little diet. I'd be, begin to exercise. I'd lose three pounds, feel really good about myself. All of a sudden, you know, we haven't really unloaded all the healthy, unhealthy food choices. And pretty soon those three pounds would come back and they would bring friends. And so slowly over the years, 50 pounds, way bigger than I should have ever been. And so when I started that journey, the first thing was you just have to get rid of the unhealthy choices. They've got to be gone, right? They were gone. I lost 50 pounds. <laughs> so the last month we've been traveling. You know, we spent two weeks, two weeks in Amish country. 
Have any of you ever been to Amish country? Those people can cook, right? Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, everything is like buffet style. It was, it was incredible. And, uh, but of course, we're traveling and we're eating that, but we're also, you know, thinking, well, hey, we got to be healthy. We have to make good food choices. And so when we're not at the buffet bar, we're getting salads, or, you know, we're pulling up to Wendy's and instead of getting the hamburger, we're getting the chicken with the big fries uh, that, uh, you know, and all of that. And then from, from Amish country, we go down to the shore and down in North Carolina, you know what they do down there? They fry everything. It's incredible. Fried shrimp, fried catfish, fried, fried. It was great. <laughs> and then we spent the night in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And my mom said, my mama joined us that I want to take you two out for dinner tonight. And there's a restaurant. I've never been to it. But I want to go there. It's called Paula Dean's. <laughs> Have any of you eaten at Paula Dean's? Oh my goodness. You're 2,000 calories into the meal before the food gets there. It's just... In fact, they bring out while you're sitting there waiting these these. I don't know, they're kind of biscuits. I'm not a big bread person. <clears throat> but do you like those things that uh, Red Lobster with all the cheese and the garlic and whatever? Put those on steroid and then multiply by 100. I mean, this thing's got like a half stick butter in it. It was incredible, right? Now, I'd had a salad earlier that day, right? So I come home, guess what? I brought 10 extra friends with me, right? We've got to work on that. We're back now. Because the point is, you can't just simply say, okay, hey, to this mess, I'm going to add these things. It's going to be okay. I've got to get rid of them. That's his point. Put them away. These listed behaviors that, are, that he talks about here, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, Malice. These things are, are cancers. They, they focus, quite honestly, they focus on us and how we deal with other people, putting ourselves to the highlight. And they're all toxic. In fact, it's interesting when Jesus came, you know, today you hear, oh, you got to love yourself. Jesus never said that. Jesus came. You know what he said? First of all, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And secondly, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, loving yourself isn't found in there. It's you love God, you love others. And then he took it to another extreme. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, not only love your neighbor, but he says, now you got to love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Later on, he tells, tells us that we need to treat others the way that we need to be treated. The heart here is this. You don't focus on yourself. Here's the thing. Here, here's the reality of life, folks. If we get focused on ourselves to meet our needs of significance and satisfaction and contentment, that's a black hole. It'll never happen. We'll be, it's, it's chasing the proverbial pot of gold at a rainbow. You will never find it. And you become, and then this becomes your life. This anger, this wrath. So I'm in, 
So last Sunday afternoon, we had pizza with the pastor. One of my stops is Walgreens. Uh, got to pick up some pop and some stuff and whatever. And, and so as I'm standing in line, I was blessed to be behind somebody who decided to return something. Praise Jesus, right? <laughs> Quick trip to Walgreens. And uh, for whatever, and I don't know, of course she didn't, I, should, I shouldn't say she, they, we'll keep it generic here. Uh, they did not have the receipt. And so this poor girl who's working the counter is trying to get this. I don't know if they bought it way too long ago. I don't know. It just wouldn't register in. She's tried everything. She does it four or five times. Trust me, because I'm watching my clock. This is taking forever. And um, instead of, you know, the person there thinking, oh, hey, my bad. I should have had the receipt, you know, whatever. Um, as uh, she's, as the little gal who had been trying to help her, just trying to do everything she can, but just can't make it work, goes to retrieve this, the cigarettes that this, this person wanted. Their boyfriend, significant other, showed up. And now, as loud as everybody in the store can hear, she starts mocking. Mocking. The, the gal who had helped her, it was, it was just, it made you cringe. It, it, was, it was exactly this. And you could just tell, you know, I'm sitting there going, boy, this person would be a lot of fun to have Thanksgiving with, right? Nobody would want that. But she's so focused on herself. And these are the cancers of the soul. And he lists six things here. The first one is bitterness. Bitterness is the idea of holding on to when somebody has wronged you, not being willing to forgive. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But being bitter in your soul towards another. The idea of wrath is the idea of outburst of anger. And it can be both verbal, it can be physical, but there's just those explosions, almost like those volcanoes going off. The next word is anger. The anger is the seething part. It's, it's the one that's kind of the slow boil that you just, you, you just process it all the time. And, and your heart's churning in anger towards that person. Clamor. Clamor is the idea of yelling and screaming, those, those verbal outbreaks. And I had, to, I had to laugh. I was thinking about that. You know, our culture says that. That's good. In fact, we made it primetime television, right? Reality TV. What do they do? They all, they all get there, yell at each other, get in everybody's face, you know, try to act like they've been disrespected. The next word he uses is slander, talking somebody down, trying to destroy their reputation, their character. The last word he uses here is malice. It's the idea of wickedness, trying to hurt somebody else. And folk, the reality is, is that these, these six things are cancers to your soul. And the negative actions that they cause really often don't hurt the other person. So I'm in Walgreens. This lady's going off to her friend about all of this. And, you know, the poor girl, I'm up by, by where she's at. And she's kind of rolled her eyes, you know. I'm sure she went home and said, man, what a day. But didn't bother her. But this, this woman, I mean, you could tell it's just, she's just a miserable person. And it's not just happening in this little relationship of her life. It is, it is her life. Stop the emotional 
the selfish, that it's all about me. Focus on others. So you've got to get rid of that. And then what you're to add is this, verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. First one is so simple. Be kind. Kind, pleasant, virtuous, helpful, thinking of others. I mean, Jesus put it this way, but love your enemies, do good, lend, not expecting anything back. And your reward will be great. And not only going to be great in heaven, it's going to be great in your soul because there's just something attractive about a kind person. I was thinking about this this week as in preparation. And, you know, the reality is one of the things that most attracted me uh, or and grabbed my heart about Tammy is the fact that she literally is one of the kindest people probably the kindest person I've ever met. And you say, oh, Steve, you're just saying that. No, I'm not. It's, it's really true. And you kind of got to know my story. I know a number of you do, so I'll not belabor it. But uh, what got me to Phoenix was uh, I had family that moved out here. My, my first wife and I were living in Ohio. Uh, she's eight months pregnant. My son is born. Complications set in. And, and my wife passes away. Right? We've been married four years. And here I am, man. I am so broken. Every dream, every hope, every anticipation of the future. I'm a planner, right? I had my life planned out. It's all gone. It's all up in smoke. And now I've got this three-day-old boy who, by the way, I'm trying not to kill, right? I'm trying to, to keep him alive. I don't know how to take care of a baby. I mean, I was going to learn from Pam. So God opens the door that I find an opportunity on a church staff here in Phoenix and I could come out here and live with my folks and my mom and my dad and my sister could raise, literally in that first year and a half, raise my, help me raise my little boy. And they did most of it. And part of my job was I did the college and career group. And one of the people in the career group was, was Tammy. She was teaching school. She, by the way, coaching basketball at the time. But she, uh, she's just such a kind, nice person. And, and about my age, uh, though younger than me, by the way. Uh, and so we would often on Sunday nights after church, back then you had Sunday night church, uh, and then we would have an activity after that. And so one night I said, hey, listen, would you mind if we went and got, grabbed a piece of pie? And she said, no, that'd be great. So we went to this place, uh, <laughs> we sat down, and I, I started it like this. Listen. My life is a mess. You've got to understand there's no romantic intentions here because I don't think I'm ever going to get married again. But I just need a friend. Would you mind just being that friend to me? How's that for an opening line into a relationship? I still get reminded of it every once in a while. But Sunday night after Sunday night after Sunday night, she would sit there and just listen to me talk about Pam, this girl that she's never going to meet, this girl I'm sure in her mind must have been perfect because it's just, I'm processing this loss and this hurt. But week after week, she would sit there and listen. One of the kindest things that anybody's ever done to me. Be kind. It's not that hard. Be helpful. 
The next word he uses here is tender-hearted. I, I like this word. It's the word that has the idea of compassionate. Show mercy. We have no mercy today for anybody. Man, if you don't see it my way, I mean, I don't care if it's on masks or vaccines or politics or how this should happen. Man, we just have, we have no grace. We have no mercy. Jesus said this, be merciful to one another just as your father is merciful. This idea of tender-hearted is listening to where people are. Paul puts in Romans 12, rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. Be tender-hearted. Be caring more about that other person than you care about yourself. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Wow. I mean, that, you know how many marriages that would change if we just had mercy and grace for one another. Compassion. The third thing that he mentions here is this idea of forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. The reality of life is that somewhere, someplace, every one of us is going to be hurt by somebody else, correct? Anybody in here has never been hurt by anybody? Like to meet you, shake your hand. You're a unicorn. Because the reality is somewhere, someplace along the line, someone's going to do you wrong, either intentionally or unintentionally. And now it's upon, upon us to deal with that. How do we deal with it? Well, a lot of people hang on to it. A lot of people have this idea, I've got to get, get even, right? That's bitterness. It's a cancer of the soul. What Paul tells us is, is that we are to forgive. And what does it mean to forgive? Well, first of all, forgiveness is not necessarily external. Sometimes people that hurt you, you're never going to have the opportunity to talk with eyeball to eyeball. So it's really not about that. It's internal. It's in my soul. It's an act of my will where I choose to forgive. And by forgiving is that I'm letting go of the perceived hurt. I'm letting go of my right to get revenge, to inflict hurt back, to, to make it right. I'm letting it go. And here's the thing. Forgiveness is given freely. It doesn't have to be requested. Some people I've met, something happened 30 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And they keep saying, well, you know what, if they'll just ask me for forgiveness... And they're never going to ask. They don't know how bad you've been hurt. They don't walk around with it. It's, it's not even the orbiter they're thinking, but you're holding on and it's tearing you up. You're the one that's popping in acid. You're the one that can't sleep at night. You're the one that's gripping the steering wheel. It's affecting you. Just forgive. Let it go. Now, honestly... When we talk about forgiveness, though, we do know that there are people out there who are kind of are serial abusers, manipulators. And so I always want to give the, the balance of this because sometimes, you know, we, 
people try to push forgiveness back past what I think it really is. First of all, forgiveness does not mean that you forget. You know, it's a scar, right? You don't forget scars. So, years ago, 50 plus years ago, we won't get more exact than that. I got bit by a dog. It's a family dog. Everybody was petting the dog. I went to pet the dog. He took a hunk out of my leg. I end up, you know, I get shots, I get all this. Okay. Uh, That was 50 some odd years ago. So this week, I am out prayer walking. And there's a dog that jumps out. And I jumped. 50 some odd years ago, flashes in my mind. Now, in my defense, I didn't know it was a chihuahua at the time. And in my defense, it ended up being the biggest chihuahua I'd ever seen. But the point is, there's a scar there, right? There's going to be a scar there. I'm not a huge dog person. I know some of you won't like me now, right? But it's just, but it goes back to that. There's a scar. So this idea that says, hey, I've got to forgive and forget. No, you've got to forgive. I mean, I don't, I'm sure that dog that bit me is in doggy heaven and everything is good, Right? I don't, we let go of the perceived hurt and the right to get, but it doesn't mean that you forget it. Secondly, it doesn't mean that there are no consequences. Sometimes when people have been abusive, it doesn't mean that it doesn't, it's not affected the relationship. It has. In fact, the idea is that it takes time to sometimes build back trust, if it can ever be built back. doesn't mean you have to walk back into an abusive relationship. That's not what forgiveness means. But forgiveness does mean that I've got to let go of the right to get even. I've got to let go of the bitterness. Leave it to God to be able to do that. And the beautiful piece of this passage is actually this, this last phrase. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see, the great example that we have in all of this, of what it means to be kind, what it means to be tenderhearted, what it means to forgive, is Jesus. And in case you don't know who Jesus was, let me tell you. He was the perfect God-man, fully God, but he becomes a man just like us. God-man. We see it in John chapter 1. In the beginning, The very beginning, before there was anything, there was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it tells us this Word becomes flesh. He becomes one of us, dwells among us. We beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the perfect God-man. And he lives this life, and what he demonstrates to us is this life that was kind, that was tender-hearted, that was forgiving. I mean, we see him healing the sick. I especially love the stories of the lepers, because the lepers had to live out of sight of town. You couldn't touch somebody with an active case of leprosy. But so often when the lepers come, it says that Jesus touched them. He was kind. He was tender-hearted. You see him with Mary and Martha who have just lost their brother Lazarus to death. They're on their way to the tomb. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he weeps with those that weep. 
Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept because he sensed their hurt. He, he was there. He was present. You talk about forgiving. You know, he's, he's ultimately crucified on the cross. And the soldiers who had nailed his arms and his legs to the cross are down there. And they've got his stuff. And yet Jesus looks at them and looks up to the Father and says, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. Jesus demonstrated that this isn't about us. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so he demonstrates this in his life, but then he goes and he dies on the cross to pay the penalty from our sin. That sin that separates us from God, that brokenness that we have in our life. Because remember, we were created by God. Now we're we're created to bear his image, but now our because of sin, we don't even know him. And that brokenness that's in our life. Remember, he said, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. And how that is, is that I can now know God. So Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin, to bear my sin. Isaiah put it like this. He said, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquity. The punishment for our peace is upon him. And with his stripes were healed. One of the last things Jesus said on the cross was he said, it is finished. In his language is one word, to telestai. It meant the debt is paid. And you think, what a strange thing to say as you're about to die. The debt is paid. But that's exactly why he came, so that you and I could be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead. He conquered death for us so that he could give new life to everyone who will believe in him. A new life where we don't have to live in our brokenness. A new life where his Holy Spirit will actually live inside of us and help us to put away anger and wrath and bitterness and slander and clamor and all those things and fill it with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. But it only comes to those who believe in him. Maybe the best known verse in the Bible is John 3, 16. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice this next phrase, that whosoever believes in him. It's not those that go to church. It's not those that try to, you know, change their life. No, it's those who believe in him. Those are the ones that shall not perish but will have eternal life, new life in Christ. So my question today is, have you come to believe in Jesus? That's where it all begins. That's the way to the better life. The one who said, I came to give life to the full. Have you put your faith and trust in him to be your your savior? Let's pray. Every head bowed, please, and every eye closed. My question for you today is, if you come to meet Jesus, have you accepted him as your Savior? And whether you're here in this room, you're watching online, the question is for you. Have you come to put your faith in Jesus? He died for you so that you could live a better life. You could live life to the full. That all your relationships could be changed. through his power, through his glory. If you haven't, why don't you just ask him? 
He just says, he who believes. We often express our beliefs through prayer. But it's not the words that really make the difference. It's our heart. But if you would like Jesus to forgive you and come into your life, you can just ask him something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm broken. I know I don't deserve your grace. I know I'm a sinner. But I believe that you came as the perfect son of God. And you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And you conquered death when you rose from the grave. And I want you to come into my life to forgive me, to change my life. 